listening to Rattle and Pedal, diversion thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. So Jeff, I'm actually really looking forward to this dialogue. So let's just dive right in. We have with us today, Mazen Gallini. Hey everybody, glad to be here. He leads the product engineering and experience lab at West Monroe aka Pixel. And Pixel is a really cool practice inside of West Monroe. And so we're going to jump right in. And Mazin, I just want you just to open us up. Tell us what Pixel is, what it does, why it exists inside of West Monroe. And we'll just dive right into kind of what you're doing there, which I think is really interesting. Sounds good. Yeah, happy to. And thanks again for the opportunity to be here. So as you introduced Pixel, it's one of our practice areas at West Monroe. And really what we do within Pixel is we help our clients design and build custom digital products. But it's not just about the product itself. It's making sure that the experience around the product and the services around those experiences support the product itself. So clients you know, come to us and say that they can be in, in starting in any number of places. They could say that we're losing market share and we're not really sure how to compete and we know we got to do it more digitally. Where should we start? And we start answering that big question. And then we unpack that question and work our way down into, well, what's really the root cause of that? And eventually we can get to a place where we say, well, maybe it's this particular service or experience that you're delivering. And within that service or experience, there's a number of operating things that support that across people, process, and technology. Within there, there are probably products that you have. You either have them today or you don't have them and there's a market opportunity for them. And so sometimes our clients have existing digital products and they're just not getting the lift that they want from that in the market. They're not driving revenue out of it. They're not getting the incremental cross-sell with their customers. They're not gaining market share and they want us to help them reimagine that product and bring it back to market. Or they could say that we're just not competing in this space and we we should be and we need to create something. We need to invent a product and we help them think through that. Well, what's the right product? What exists in the market? What's the right market fit for the product that you're trying to build? And what should that product strategy overall look like? And then we take them through the process of actually designing it and building it. I think one of the things that's distinctive about not only Pixel as a, as a team, which is a team of over 400 designers, product managers, and engineers within West Monroe, it's what West Monroe collectively brings to helping our clients solve their digital challenges. Because when you know, West Monroe's sort of positioning is this notion of don't do digital, but be digital. And what we mean by that is that doing digital would be that you're doing a project and it's over. Being digital is that you're actually evolving your organization to operate in a more ongoing state of digital, which allows you to be more agile and responsive to the changing market conditions. And so we help our clients not only solve for the application itself, like build the technology, but how do you become a more sustainable organization and a more modern organization that can take data and insights and be responsive to that, that has the right organizational structure around that within your technology teams and within your organization as a whole. So we work with our clients to do all of that work. And we also do it in an industry contextual way. So we have specific industries that we focus in and industry segments that we play in as a firm. So what we try to do is bring a industry relevant point of view to how we actually solve that digital challenge or how we build that product. 
So it's not just technology uh, agnostic. And this notion of then becoming digital is akin to an analogy of it's the difference between going on a crash diet or running a marathon one time versus being an, an athlete in perpetuity. To be a world-class athlete, you not only have to be physically fit and be able to actually run the marathon, you have to change the way that you eat. You have to change the way that you sleep. You probably need to change the way that you manage your mental health. It's an overall sustainable way of living. It's not just a one-time event. And that's the distinction between doing something that's digital. We did a project, we built this digital product, it's over, versus now you're entering into more of a ongoing state of changing your business to engage with your market and your customers in a more digital way ongoing. A ton to unpack. So lots of questions. Question number one, where did that be digital positioning point of view, whatever you want to call it, where did that come from? Like, where did that emanate from? Is that something that you did like a a research study and you said, oh my gosh, this is our point of view on the marketplace? Or is it something that emerged over time? Like, how did that come to be the way that you're explaining West Monroe to the market? And and then also the way you're explaining Pixel? Yeah. So the the thing is that West Monroe grew up as a technology company. That's how we were founded. And over time, we merged into more of or evolved more into having management consulting capabilities. But what we never really did in the market in our sort of formative years was position ourselves as a digital firm. It was more of a management technology consulting firm. And we really wanted to make the shift because we, we have been doing digital work for our clients for decades, but we really didn't describe it as such. And so as we looked at the market of like digital is such a you know big term that means everything and nothing, right? So how are we going to position ourselves to be clear in the market of the place that we're going to play. And so we did look at the market several years ago, and we looked at how different organizations from strategy organizations to full service consultancies, to engineering firms, to design agencies, what is their positioning? What need are they filling in the market? And the space that we found that we think is the white space that we think that West Monroe has a better chance than, than most of winning is the intersection of those things, of that they're really aren't many or if any firms that can take you truly all the way from you know strategy conception through operational change through experience design through designing a product and building a product to sustaining that product over time to connecting it to all your backend systems when you look at the market The competitive landscape is that most organizations grew up in one dimension of that. Either they started as a strategy firm and they're trying to bolt on implementation services, or they started as an implementation firm and they're trying to figure out how to move upstream and do management consulting and advisory. West Monroe has been doing the integration of those things since since basically our inception. What we haven't been doing is really positioning it as integrated as we could. And that's where then we started looking at, well, where are companies really failing around digital? It's because they think about digital as this one-time event, like I just described. And what West Monroe can do and help his clients along that journey, so it's not a one-time event, but you're actually truly transforming the way you operate as an organization. You're building an ongoing digital operating model and then all the technology that goes around it. And so that's kind of how we came to that, is we said, hey, there's really an opportunity here. And we see that the market is all sort of converging on this point. Everybody is trying to get to that place where they have the end-to-end capabilities because that's what clients want. 
is a partner that can deliver all of that. And we think that we're closer than most to getting there. So we doubled down on that. Yeah, it feels like a very cultural transformation thing for a lot of clients, much broader than technology, which is why I think it's so compelling and interesting. Okay, my follow-on question as it relates to that, when you first walk into a room with with a new potential client and you have this conversation about them, and maybe this doesn't even happen, maybe I'm making up a hypothetical scenario that doesn't exist. What reaction do you get when you say, well, you stop thinking about digital as a product. You got to think about it, you know, as something that you are. Do they look at you sideways and say, huh, I never thought about that before? Or do they lean in and go, man, you're right. I've been thinking and feeling this forever. And finally, someone articulated it in a way that the the way I've been feeling it. Like, what what reaction do you get? I'm just sort of curious, like how it's received. And then we'll we'll move on. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'll start by giving you the standard consulting answer. It depends depends, on on where the client is and where you're meeting them, right? And, you know, how progressive are they? Are they a firm that is is a laggard and needs to reinvent? Or are they a firm that, you know, was more on the spectrum of closer to born digital? So it depends on where you're meeting them. In general, by this point in sort of... uh, digital evolution, every senior executive has led some sort of digital transformation project, as I put that in air quotes. And most of them have probably gone through the experience of, yeah, we did this project, you know, last year, and it was our digital project. And then, you know, we're done. And so I think most executives have gone through that experience. And they're starting to see that it actually doesn't end. You can't just do it and think that, okay, well now, you know, I got into shape and now I'm going to be fit forever. Like, you know, so now I can go back to doing things the old way. And so I think most clients have had a firsthand experience of that recently where they understand that. The other dimension that just has completely changed the game, as we all know, in all things digital is the pandemic over the past few years. I mean, within 90 days of the pandemic starting, I mean, we the world got accelerated five plus years into the future in terms of, of the way that people work, the way that they interact, the way that people shop, the way that people consume entertainment and listen to music. Everything got accelerated during that time frame. And so I think executives have have that experience in recent history and they, they acknowledge the fact that if they are going to keep pace going forward because it's not slowing down, the momentum it's it's not it's not about the pandemic anymore it's about what's been unleashed in terms of digital change and constant yeah. change in the business that they realize that to keep up that way they have to change their business model like you can't keep up just by continuously doing different projects and you know solving symptoms in the business and addressing a new product or whatever it's that you have to have a whole new way of working that is going to continuously inform, well, what's the right next best thing to do and where should we invest? But a lot of clients haven't, to answer your question specifically, they haven't thought about it in such a sort of a simple way. They kind of know all of the things I just said and they've experienced those things, but they haven't really put their finger on it like, yeah, that's, that's what we're missing. That's what we need to do. And that's where the conversation gets interesting. There's beautiful simplicity in the message that I was just curious if it's one of those things that it makes people kind of shock into place, go, oh my gosh. Or, or are they like, yeah, 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 I've been feeling that and you finally got it out, right? So Jeff, take us forward here. Where do you want to go from here? I just kind of put Mazin on the spot and made him like, you know, tell the history of this practice the positioning, the language, the, you know, all this stuff. So, so push us forward. I want to take a step back 
and and talk a little bit about Madison and, and how you got to this point in your career and, and what has shaped your thinking as a consultant and as a practice leader. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are? Yeah, sure. My academic background is engineering. So I studied electrical engineering in school. That's the way my mind works is as an engineer, very problem solving oriented, very much a critical thinker of sort of how I decompose problems. I've been at West Monroe for most of the time that we've been in existence. I started almost 20 years ago as a consultant and just grew up with the organization. Most of my time throughout my career has been in terms of subject matter and craft has been focused around customer experience from the strategy part of it to the operational aspects of it and to technology enablement. And I've done packaged software technology enablement and custom software build and data and integration work over the years. So I grew up through technology within the organization in a, in a customer experience context. And as I got to a more senior place within my career at West Monroe, I then pivoted to being more of what I would consider an entrepreneur. So I started practices from the ground up. So I started our, our CRM practice 12 years ago from a standing start and scaled that business through a couple acquisitions. I've then taken other practices and that were smaller and then scaled them over time. And then I've combined teams and brought teams together. And that's where a lot of the you know, genesis of, of Pixel came together. As we moved into this future you know, direction of the firm, we realized that we were missing additional capabilities and we've made several acquisitions over the past few years. And we've over time assembled those into a combined team. And so one of the things that I've gotten really good at that I think is one of my, one of my superpowers is bringing people together and building high performing teams. So I've been, you know, tapped over time in my years at Western Road to do that. Of if we have you know a, a team that's not reaching its full potential, whether that's back when I was doing a lot of client work or it's a practice, then I you know uh, jump in and help with that. That's really what I'm frankly most passionate about is people and leadership development, and that's where I've sort of indexed over time in my career. I'd still consider myself a craftsperson and a a, a craftsperson from a consulting standpoint. I you know that's how I kind of grew up. But really, the the skill that I think I've really leaned into in recent years is building the skill around leadership. And how do you build leaders? How do you build high-performing teams? And how do you build cultures within teams, especially when you have disparate teams coming together? Most recently with creating Pixel, we actually bought three different acquisitions together and two other teams within West Monroe together to combine one combined team. So you can imagine all the dynamics that went into that of all the leaders that came from the respective teams, the different ways of working, the different ways of selling, all of that we had to reconcile, you know, previous relationships and new relationships that needed to be created. So there's a ton of challenge and a lot of fun in that. And that's where I've been spending a lot of my time in recent years. Now, see, I think that is the hallmark of a great leader. They look at those challenges and say, Oh, that'll be fun. <laughs> uh, what what is it that that is fun about that for you? Because I do think that is one of the key differentiators that separates your normal practice leader from exceptional practice leader. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. 
you know, I think to me, the most fun part of it is watching the, the people dynamics evolve of you bring people together. And at the beginning, it might even feel like oil and water. And then over time, you're like three months later, six months later, you see people coming together and making human connections with each other. And you watch this like arc of performance of the team of it's just how quickly you can go and how quickly you can hockey stick once you get that inflection point of leaders within a team truly making human connections with each other and really having shared values and shared outcomes and being wor- working towards those objectives. That to me is is a lot of fun because that's when people then perform at their best, right? And I think if you as a leader can create the conditions to cultivate that and then unleash that, then ultimately people are going to be very successful. And I mean, that's fundamentally what people want, right? I mean, especially in the world that we work in and in consulting and digital services, you have a lot of type A, high-performing driven people and they want really gnarly challenges to work on and they want the sense of accomplishment that comes with when you, you know, you declare victory on that. And so, you know, to me, I think uh, as a leader, your accountabilities are really fairly simple if you distill them down to your, to their core. It's first and foremost, you have to set the strategy so that you have a clear path of where you're going. Within that strategy, you have to clarify the priorities, the near term and the longer term priorities. And then ultimately, you have to inspire people. And if you inspire people, well, then you're going to, again, unleash their potential to execute against those priorities. And if you define the way that you operate as a team with clarity, well, then you can really maximize people's potential because people don't run into each other. Everybody knows what they're accountable for. They know how to communicate with each other. And then people can produce unexpected levels of results. What was the biggest challenge for you? making that migration from like consultant to manager to leader. Like, you know, you, you, right now, of course, you talk so much about developing people and, and everything you just said was just like so powerful. Was that hard to kind of like make that transition to wait, wait well, I, I was serving a client. Now I've got this whole group of people that are looking to me for direction and a plan. And I think as you put it, driving their potential, like was that a difficult transition? And if so, what was difficult about it? Yeah, it is. I think it's a fairly challenging transition for most people as they progress through those levels of responsibility. Because as you grow up as a consultant, you're a craft expert, right? Like you, the value you provide to a client is your knowledge. You produce deliverables. Then you move into manager role. And then there's a level of control that you have to relinquish of that. Okay, well, my job now is to manage other people and direct other people and not actually do the work. So there's a level of, okay, now I have to remove myself from that. I have to trust people to do the work as well as I could have done it. And then when you move into leadership, then you're now leading managers, right? And so now you're directing people, but you still have to get into some level of the detail because the people that you're leading maybe aren't as senior yet, so they're not fully autonomous as leaders. But then when you reach the level of being a leader of leaders, you get so abstracted from the detail (laughs) that like... In some ways, it's good because it lets you focus on the bigger picture and you're not, you're not mired in the details, but it's also, I mean, it requires a ton of trust of your team that you just have to trust that they are going to do the right things because you can't possibly be in all the details. And even more importantly, like that's why what I was saying that the strategy, the priorities and the inspiration has to be so crisp and clear because you're not only doing that 
to one person. Like as a manager, you're directing one person and you have to inspire one person. When you're in a leader of leader role, you have to do that to your leaders and then provide it in such clarity that they can then cascade that down to all all your people. So you can do that and inspire hundreds of people through a leadership team. And so the challenge and the growth curve there is really relinquishing control and getting very effective at how you bring people along and align people around an objective so that they can communicate it authentically with confidence versus, you know, just reading off a script, so to speak, and that it, that it naturally becomes the ethos of, of what you want to create within the organization. You're listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on growing your professional services firm. Your hosts are Jason Malicki, principal of Rattleback, the marketing agency for professional services firms, and Jeff McKay, former CMO and founder of strategy consultancy, Prudent Pedal. If you find this podcast helpful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to Jason and Jeff. You know, my sense, Bazin, is Wes Monroe's culture is incredibly unique. I, I work with a lot of different firms, and the one thing that strikes me about West Monroe is it's a firm who knows who it is and it has known who it is from the very beginning. Can you talk a little bit about how that culture has shaped you, how you've shaped that culture and how that culture has gotten you to where you are today? Uh, That's a really great question. So there's a number of dimensions to that. So I would agree with you that I think West Monroe has, throughout its history, built our business around our culture. Like our culture has been the center point of who we are as an organization. We've made significant investments in it over the years to continue to cultivate it and to do it very intentionally. And we have a set of values as as does every organization. And our first and foremost value is that we put people first. And which that in and of itself is a unique but nuanced distinction that's different than a lot of professional services firms because most professional services firms would say client first because you're in the client service business. Our belief is that if you put people first and you take care of people, then people will take care of your clients and you'll actually produce better outcomes than if you put clients first. So you'll end up with happier people that are more fulfilled and you'll also end up with happier clients. So that's sort of just the mindset of how we've operated. And within that, that also creates a space for people to grow and to take on leadership opportunities potentially earlier than they would elsewhere. So we also believe in in stewardship and and that as a employee of the firm, you also have a responsibility and accountability to leave the place better than you found it. And so that mindset and the entrepreneurial spirit of the firm has created the conditions for people like me to take risks within the organization and take on roles that I probably wouldn't get to do elsewhere at this stage in my career. So, you know, to become a PL leader at the at the stage of my career that I did to become an executive team member or a board member of the firm at the point in my career that I did, 
to be given the responsibility to assemble practices, to lead acquisitions that are significant capital investments of the firm and to be trusted to do that all really is rooted in our culture of the fact that the firm believes in building the next generation of leaders, which is what our mission is. And the way that we do that is by giving people opportunities to grow. And that really is is how it shows up day to day. And because that is the heart of who we are, I've gotten to do the things that I've gotten to do, which have really shaped my capabilities and perspectives as a leader. How does that people first philosophy manifest itself on the day-to-day? Like, maybe I should be more specific. How do you reinforce it? So like, it, it seems to me that values are always a function of the things people do daily, not the, what you say. So m- maybe an, an example or two of situations where you're faced with attention, you're faced with a choice as an organization about putting a, 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 the people first or the client first. Maybe just an example of how that's come to reality. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Well, one of the things I think that's important to clarify, first of all, that we often remind our people of is that it's very intentional people first, not person first. Mm -hmm. So people first means it's the plural, we. It's not I, right? So sometimes you have people who come to the table and say, well, I need this because it's right for me. Well, it might not be right for everybody else on the team or it might not be right for the firm. That doesn't mean that we're making a non-people first decision. It means that we're not making a person first decision in that particular case. With all that said, it does show up very individually in day-to-day situations of where you might have a client scenario of where somebody isn't doing well on a client or there isn't a you know, they're not connecting well with the client or they're working excessively on a particular client engagement. And one for one reason or another, the right thing to do is to roll that person off the project and you do that. Or it's that somebody is going through something significant personally of the fact that maybe they have a sick parent or a sick child or they've had some other life event and they need some time away from work. And everybody rallies around that. There's absolutely no concern about that we're going to get the work done because everybody is going to pitch in and make sure that that person is cared for and they have the space to do what they need to do to take care of themselves as an individual and to care for their family if that was the case might be there. So it shows up in very tactical ways and it also shows up in terms of big investments that we make. So for example, this year was our 20-year anniversary this summer We made a very significant investment to bring our over 2,000 employees all together to one physical location for a celebration for multiple days. And that was a massive investment. And to, to do that, not only the cost of the event, but also the opportunity cost of doing the work. But we thought it was the right thing to do because the heart of who we are is a, is a people company. And given the events of the world events of the past few years and not being able to be in person as much, we didn't make a financial decision there. We made a people decision there. And we said that it's the right thing for our culture. We need to reignite the culture and bring people back together. And so we did that and we made that decision. And I think it's, you know, that's something that I don't think a lot of organizations would do. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Before we run out of time, I'd like to circle back around for a second because there's a part of Pixel and your work that I think I, I'd just like to hear you talk a little bit about. And what I'm curious about is when you know when you work with companies, when you work with a company that is, I'll say born digital, 
So it's it, it's a company that was started within the last maybe 10 years, five years versus a company that you know is having to become digital. What do you see differently in terms of those organizations and their culture? You know, what does it look like when you're inside of one of those two different types of organizations or feel like? I don't know that it's is it better or worse. I'm just more curious to understand the nuances between a newer company versus one that that's trying to migrate to a new reality. Yeah, it's it really comes down to mindset shifts. So there's there's clearly a difference in technical debt and organizational debt that you have to deal with, right? I mean, dealing with a firm that's born digital, like they don't have legacy systems that are hard to integrate to and get data out of. And, you know, so if you want to build a digital product, well, it's all modern platforms and APIs and you just snap it in. With a a laggard company, you have to deal with all that stuff, right? So there's like the technical details can be different and more complicated, but you work through that. Like candidly, the technical details are generally the easiest part of driving an outcome in any sort of digital work. It's really about the the mindset shift. And so and it also depends on where you're meeting the client. Like have they made the acknowledgement as a company that they are behind? Like, are they self-aware and do they realize that if they don't do something about it, that they're going to really, really lose in the market? Like, it's like, are they clear of the existential threat? That's one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum is that there's a clear directive from the board and the CEO that we have an existential threat. We're losing. We have to do something very different. And they've rallied money and focus and leadership around making this, this transformation. And so depending on where you're meeting them, there's either a lot more work to do up front to get them to the point of acknowledging the existential threat, or then it's like, well, what's the work to then actually transform them? Candidly, at this stage in sort of the world's maturity on digital, if you're a company that doesn't realize the existential threat, it's probably not worth working with that client because yeah. you're going to spend so much time trying to convince them. And then ultimately, they're probably not going to do the work in the right way anyway. So really, it's about like, have they made that realization? And then now you got to bring them along. And then the hard work is, how do you realign the whole organization? Because everything has to change. You have to change the org design. You have to change the way that they work. You have to change the way that they interact with customers, the way that you measure them, the way that you incent them. You have to likely upskill people because they probably have legacy skill sets and maybe aren't as conversant in the types of skills and technology that you need to work with them on. And so you have to really just look at it and assess like, well, what are the dimensions that you really need to focus on? And one of the things I like to talk to clients and my internal leadership team about is we got to focus on the halo effect. Like when you're talking about making a transformational change, like internally, when we bring three acquisitions together and you're building a new team and you're building Pixel, there is so much to solve for, you know, of like, it's you, you're overwhelmed. You're like, well, where do I even start? And what you got to figure out is like, what's the thing that's going to create the halo effect? If I solve for this thing, I'm not only going to solve for that thing, but it's going to then ripple and then have a positive impact on the next thing. And then because success breeds success, right? So you got to, the hard work is to work with your client to figure out what that is. Because every client is different. So you got to figure out what business unit or organization within the company 
is the right one to start with? Which leaders are the ones that are going to be able to drive the change? What's the biggest, hairiest, you know, use case that if we solved for that thing, people would see like, oh my gosh, if we fix that, like there's so much that's possible. So that's the hard work to figure that out. And then it's a significant journey to get there. So we also then spend time with our clients figuring out well, what's going to be the actual financial value here, right? Because there's an element of, you know, you just got to do this because of sort of the connection to the existential threat concept. But at some point, you got to make the numbers work too, right? So we also spend time with our clients making sure that it's clear of, well, what's the quantifiable financial value that you're going to get out of this investment? If we do this first, it's going to move the needle here. You're going to see this uptick in revenue or in retention or acquisition of, of customers. And so we get really specific that way. So then it becomes a self-funding type of thing. You get enough funding to do the first thing. You actually prove that the financial model worked. It then becomes self-funding for the next thing. And then, then you're off to the races. I love the halo effect, by the way. I like that as well. That was a good way of describing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It got, I mean, instantly it got me thinking about like everything you've got in your strategy for next year. What is the one most important thing? And, and make sure that that thing is right. You know, that that one thing you're going to do it right because it will have a ripple effect on everything else. And maybe you don't have to do all that stuff. Maybe the nine things you thought you had to do, you only have to do two Yeah, because the, the one will, will do everything else. I like exactly. to call that redistricting, by the way. anyway jeff i mean we are literally past time but i've enjoyed this so much that i I didn't want to stop talking to mazin so what else did you want to cover that we didn't cover that is burning that man if we don't get this out we don't have another shot in 2022 i have two questions that's Uh, not i said one that's (laughs) the, the first one chicken or egg question where is pixel the lab itself leading the industry, or where are clients taking us in this next chapter of digital transformation and life of being digital? So there's in the set of offerings that we take to market, one of the handful of things that we we focus on is we call it building a high-performing product org. And that's the people side of the business. And that's everything we've talked about today, right? We're increasingly having clients coming to us and asking us for that. That's been more of something that we've been historically pushing on clients if we do the digital work itself. And then it's like, how do we help you become and transform into a high-performing product org? Clients are coming to us and saying, we need to change from a project to a product mindset. We need to evolve and build a digital operating model. Like our clients are actually starting to ask us for that. And we think that we're pretty uniquely positioned to do that because we're not just coming at it from a pure advisory perspective. We do it from rooted in a very tangible way of knowing actually how to build the products and what it takes to then become a high-performing product org. So oftentimes what we do is we not only do that sort of org design type of work, but we actually do it in the context of delivering a product and we show them and then we help them do it in an ongoing way. And so that really, I think, is one of the most important things because that's where the sustainability will come in for our clients to then be able to continue to do that themselves. Because any good consultant that's a true trusted advisor, their clients should always be thinking about how do I work my way out of a job? 
Like you should be working to build the skills of your client so that eventually they become more self-sufficient and you don't want to lose them as a client. You just then build the trust to work on the next big thing that they got. But that first thing that you did, you don't want to be doing that forever. You need them to become more sufficient at that. And so more and more clients are really waking up to that. And that's where we see a lot of opportunity in the coming year. So what I heard you say there is the next step is being digital. Yeah. How about that? How about that? All right. So last question. If people want to learn more about West Monroe or connect with you, how do they find you? Just go to our website, westmonroe.com, and you can search for my name, Mazen, M-A-Z-E-N. I am the only Mazen in the whole firm. So I'll pretty easily pop up and you can look under the leadership section, all my contact info, LinkedIn, everything else is there. Um, Would love to have any follow-up conversations with anyone. So thank you for the opportunity. This has been great, Jason and Jeff. Thank you so much for joining us. It was such a wonderful conversation because we went inside the practice. We went into your role in the practice leader. We learned about culture. I don't think you could have like tied a better bow on an episode because we covered almost every topic that we cover on this podcast at some point. So it was great. I really appreciate it. Pleasure meeting you. Thank you so much. Likewise. Same to you. Thank you, Eric. Thanks, man. Thank you for listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Find content related to this episode at rattleandpedal.com. Rattle and Pedal is also available on iTunes and Stitcher. Oh, oh.